Doctor with contempt. It's Thanksgiving. She wants to be home in Atlanta watching NFL with Hobby and the Rugrats. Ryan felt a stab of guilt. What he was about to do was hopefully for the greater good. It might save thousands of lives, but this pilot was about to go through the most horrifying experience of hers. You really have it in for the Americans, Ryan noted. The voice that came back in Ryan's ear was grudging. You've got three brothers, Ryan. How would you feel if the Americans had sold a missile to a bunch of terrorists that killed one of them? Before Ryan could answer, he saw the pilot fold the crumpled newspaper and post it beneath her seat. As the woman stood, she tucked her cap under her armpit and grabbed the briefcase standing between her legs. Showtime, Ryan mumbled. He let the woman take a couple of steps before standing up himself. As he swung his pack over one shoulder, Ryan realised the woman was hurrying, either late for something or desperate to use the bathroom. Shit, Ryan mumbled, knowing it's much harder to follow someone in a rush. Problem? Kazakov asked. I can handle it, Ryan said quietly as he tried to catch up without making it too obvious. Try getting her in the corridor. I know, Ryan whispered irritably. I can't think with you babbling in my ear hole. Although Mantle wouldn't handle a passenger flight for another six hours, there was still a newsagent and cafe open and a few other people in the lounge. There was a chance the pilot might freak out, so Ryan didn't make his move until she'd walked into a deserted corridor past a speak-your-wake machine and was turning to the ladies' toilet. Excuse me, Ryan said loudly. The pilot assumed Ryan was speaking to someone else until he repeated the call and tapped the back of her blazer. She looked startled as she turned, then a little irritated. How can I help you, son? she asked, sounding cocky. I need you to listen carefully, Ryan said, keeping his voice flat as he pulled a large touchscreen phone out of his pocket. I've got something to show you. The woman raised both hands and took a step back. Ryan's olive complexion meant he could just about pass for a local. No money, she said frostily as she swiped a finger across her throat. It's bad enough kids begging on the street. Clear off before I report you to security. Ryan switched on the phone and turned the screen to face the pilot. Stay calm, don't make a sound, Ryan said. The pilot dropped the cap under her arm as she saw the picture on the screen. It was her living room. Her husband knelt in front of the couch dressed only in pyjama bottoms. A hooded man stood behind holding a large knife at his throat. On his left stood two small boys dressed for bed. They looked scared and the older one had wet pyjama legs from pissing himself. What is this? the pilot asked, trembling. Is this a joke? Ryan kept his voice firm but felt terrible inside. Tracy, you need to keep your voice down. You need to listen carefully and do everything I tell you to. If you do exactly what I say, your husband and sons will be released unharmed. The pilot trembled as her eyes fixed on the photograph. What do you want? Speak quietly, Ryan ordered. Take deep breaths. Walk with me. Ryan pocketed the phone and began a slow walk, leading Tracy back towards the passenger lounge. Me and my people came on that big illusion parked out on the tarmac, Ryan explained, but we need a plane with flight clearance to get cargo into the USA. What kind of cargo? Tracy asked. Ryan ignored the question. We've got friends behind the scenes at this airport. Right now they're loading your 737 with our stuff. You're scheduled to fly to Atlanta in four hours. You're going to take off on schedule, but once you're in US airspace, you'll put out a mayday and do an emergency landing in a small airfield in central Alabama. By the time the authorities realise what's happened, we'll have emptied our cargo and vanished. You and your family will be released unharmed. I want to talk to my husband, Tracy said. You can want whatever you like. You're getting jack shit. How do I know that picture isn't photoshopped? Ryan hated what he was doing, but faked a mean smile as he looked back. You want your boy Christian to lose a thumb? You're just a kid yourself, Tracy stuttered as she touched a wet eye. Who are you working for? They like to call themselves the Islamic Department of Justice, Ryan said. But I don't work for them. Me and my dad are just in this for the money. Chapter 2. Skids. 
The English weather wasn't bad for late November. A bit of a sting where the wind blew, but the sky was bright. The four Cherub agents wore their combat trousers and training boots, but nothing with the Cherub logo on was allowed off campus, so their T-shirts and hoodies were plain. Where the hell are they? Leon Sharma asked as he lay flat on a bench, six rows up a decaying wooden grandstand. Ryan's 11-year-old brother Leon was the youngest of the quartet. The other three all had a Ryan connection too. Alfie Dubois-Son was one of Ryan's best mates, Fu Ning was a good friend, and Grace Valiemi had been Ryan's girlfriend. Or maybe still was his girlfriend, depending on who you asked. Why make us get up so early? Leon moaned as he glanced at the clock on his iPhone. I hate waiting around. Beats lessons, Alfie said as he lobbed a piece of gravel that bounced harmlessly off Leon's belly. I looked this place up on Wikipedia, Ning said, though nobody seemed interested. Three days past her 13th birthday, the broad-shouldered Ning sat near the top of the grandstand, with a view over a long tarmac straight, faded Dunlop and Martini billboards, and the steel frame of a much larger grandstand which had buckled in a fire. I can't get my Facebook, Leon said, scowling at the battered blackboard.